I just had this crazy idea of how could I make a long run harder and it popped into my head why don't you do it in bare feet and I thought that's ridiculous dot 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 welcome to the shakeout podcast I'm your host Kate Van Buskirk most of us couldn't dream of traversing the length of Britain on foot in even the sturdiest running shoes but for Anna McNuff the distance alone wasn't a big enough challenge In June, she set out to run 100 marathons through the UK, barefoot. This week on The Shakeout, Anna shares her tales of adventure throughout a five-month quest to spread positivity, encourage others to redefine their limits, and reach for the impossible. To skip ahead to this interview, scroll to the 2130 mark in this episode. But first, Maddie Kelly and I bring you the results news, and drama from the roads, track, and cross-country course. This is The Rundown. Welcome to The Rundown (laughs) Shakeout Podcast. I feel like we unintentionally matched our clothing to the weather today. Yeah, because November is gray as heck. Sure is. But you can make the most of it by enjoying the outdoors with a run. Yep. In the dark. That was nerdy. Woke up this morning. (laughs) It was was a positive outlook. Yeah, we both both woke up this morning and exercised. In the dark. In the dark. And we're going to go exercise in the dark after work. Yeah, because that's what happens in daylight savings time. (laughs) And in the middle of the day, I exercised inside. Yeah. So we needed to take some vitamin D. Yeah. Oh, I do. Me too. I was joking yesterday that I need to get uh, get your iron checked tattooed <laughs> yeah. on my forehead. I have a few supplement things I need to take care of. Yeah. Hey, that's a good PSA. That is a good. That's a good fall PSA when that you're ramping up your training again. Yep. You know, like you ran your fall marathon, you took your break, and now you're gonna like you know continue your running through the winter. Yeah. Get on your supplements. It's the best time, according to Trent Stellingworth. It's the best time because your body is exposed to the least amount of inflammation during your relative downtime, mm. so you can actually absorb all of the goodness of your supplements during that time. And of course, yes, iron, vitamin D, vitamin D, fun little. Do you make an overdose on vitamin D? No, you can't because yes, it's water you, soluble. No, you can overdose on vitamin D. Well, I think you'd have to be pouring. Like, I'm sure you can overdose on anything technically, but it is water soluble, so it's not gonna create huge level of toxin. Okay, important correction here: vitamin D is in fact fat soluble, and it can be harmful if taken in excess quantities. Someone told me that not I was <laughs> that I was near a vitamin D overdose because I was on a really high dosage and I was on the drops when you like put it on your oh, hand yeah. and lick it up. And uh, <laughs> I was, love the visual of that. Thank you. I was told that I was getting very close to dangerous levels of vitamin D. We have full disclaimer. <laughs> For any lawyers out there, Madeline Kelly and Kate Van Buskirk, um, employees of Grip Publishing, are not permitted to be handing out medical advice. So these are just oh, anecdotal tips. Not, I didn't even uh, take chemistry in grade 11. Okay, so that says it all. <laughs> anyway, upping your vitamin D dosage a little bit probably won't hurt. Consult a medical professional before taking any supplements. <laughs> That's the disclaimer of the day. That sounded 
so much like the end of an American drug commercial. I really you did. You experience nausea, heartburn, and just right. <laughs> 17,000 <laughs> other side effects. If, your right, arm, if your right arm falls off, please consult your medical professional. <laughs> but only if your right arm falls off. <laughs> Otherwise, you're probably fine. If the left falls off. <laughs> not a big deal. That's not our fault. No. We don't know why that <laughs> no. happened. Unrelated. Unrelated. Is, is this a sign of vitamin D deficiency? The giggles? Or is this just end of the day on Tuesday? I when overdosed. You've been- Did you not listen? <laughs> so that's what's happening right now. Yeah, this is a, this is a real life example. <sighs> Glad there's an explanation. Vitamin D. O-D. Oh, oh man. <laughs> All right. So some things happened in the world of running this yeah. week. Start with the roads, go all yeah. the way to Japan, where 400 runners broke 70 minutes for the half marathon in the same race at the same time on the same day. Crazy. So I like um, having like comparative stats for this to put it in context for people. I believe there have been 31 Canadians that have broken 70 minutes in the half marathon in 2019. In an entire year at multiple different marathons right. across um, how many different places and yes. spaces. And this was one day, one race, one race, 400 men. 400 men? Yeah. That doesn't include, were there women that did it? No, the first woman crossed in 120. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's actually almost as shocking as 400 men did it. No women broke 80 minutes. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember that this was a university primarily race because this was a qualifier for Ekaden. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. For the Hakoni Ekaden team, um, which draws over a million spectators Mm -hmm. every year. Should we explain what Ekadens are? Because they're really interesting. Yes, we should. So Ekaden is a form of relay, Mm-hmm. But the number of team members and the duration of the legs vary in every race. So it's, it's not sort of a like standard. a medley of sorts on yeah, the track. Good word. Oh, P.S. listeners, we're putting together a rundown lexicon because every week Maddie and I um, pat ourselves on the back and pat each other on like the back for our linguistic skills. words. We shouldn't really well, be patting ourselves on the back. Well, I'm still going to do it. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I'm proud of it. But I'm saying if there's some <laughs> listener who's like, Honestly, these are very common, very simple words. Then I would say I don't disagree with you. No, so you can choose not to utilize our lexicon. However, I guarantee you that not many people know what ekadin means. Maddie and Kate's so word of the day it. today is ekadin. Kate, continue. No problem. So um, the relays are like a huge part of Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. So to the point where like most corporations have like a corporate professional ekadin team, and they draw runners from all over the world to help like pad their teams a little bit fun fact i was recruited to a japanese ekaden team three years ago kate that's actually huge i know it was it was it almost happened was that your I, running peak it, I, obviously thank I'm you kidding. <laughs> but it might have been <laughs> just um, so everyone knows kate's a former canadian oh, record shush. holder so obviously that was a joke but, but it was going. it could have been an amazing adventure and yeah. i came actually pretty close to to saying yes. The problem was I was offered a spot on this Ekaden team in, I believe, late February. And I was told that I would have to pack up all my stuff in three weeks and move there sight unseen. Um, and the duration of time was for the remainder of that calendar year. And I could only leave for three weeks of the remainder of that calendar year to go do other things outside of Japan. I was going to be paid handsomely. And in fact, Jeff Schiebler. Yeah. Former, former Canadian, Canadian half, no, current Canadian half, half marathon, marathon record, record holder. Yeah. yeah. He spent, I think, 10 years in Japan on an Ekaden team. 
and it's how he was able to retire. I don't think Jeff would have any problem have with me question. telling this, but I think he said he made an average of $170,000 a year. As, it was it was well into the six figures, yes. And how many years ago was this? Mm. 15. So we're talking inflation. He's like making like a quarter of a million dollars a year to be a runner. Yeah. In Japan. How do I get on this thing? <laughs> well, I was going to say, if you're ever looking for like a post 800 meter career. I trained for cross country. There you go. I could do it. You could do the 5K leg. Yeah, I'll do the 5K yeah. leg. And But but all of this speaks to how big a deal it is in Japanese culture, which the the way I'm rounding this out is just by saying it is incredible that 400 men, university age, broke 70 minutes and a half marathon, but it's not completely surprising when you consider what a big deal it is. I'm quitting track. Okay. Yeah. Maddie has just announced <laughs> retirement. I'm quitting track. I think I've found my calling. I would like to switch my training and move to Japan. And extra fun little thing, you get to wear a sash. I know. When you're running, which yeah. is what they use instead of a baton for the handoff. And the sash is called, sorry, going to really blatantly check my notes here. The sash is called a Tasuki. And it represents the, it's kind of gross, but like the combined sweat of every runner in a communal effort towards. Super cool. Yeah. Towards a common goal. Super hygienic. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of stuff about running that's a little questionable yeah, on the hygiene is, front. So if you get if you're grossed up by this, yeah. you're, in, you're in for uh, in for a treat when you get into the rest of the the sport. But um, yeah, big deal. Awesome, so cool. awesome and race. I've got a ten year plan now, so you know, perfect, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you set yourself up for like actual life retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. My parents are going to be so happy. <laughs> you made a living at running? <laughs> you can call yourself a professional athlete yeah, without an asterisk? <laughs> yeah, they're still, they're, they're still waiting. Oh, they're well, still waiting. As for are that. most of our parents. <laughs> anyway, cool stuff happening in Japan. Keep that in the back of your mind if you ever decide to. Uh, I mean, you know what would be great? What? Qualify for Tokyo 2020 and then just stay. Perfect. Maddie's life plan life, has just been mapped out. Life doesn't work that way, Kate. Don't tease me like that. Well, speaking of things working out really well for female runners, mm. take us to our next story, Maddie. So Latizanet Gide of Ethiopia broke the women's 15K world record in the Netherlands over the weekend. She ran 44.19 for 15K, which en route to that time, she split a 29.44 for 10K, which is a world best, but couldn't be ratified because it's a point-to-point -point course right. it's within a 15k which is already like a fairly new world record right. category anyway 29.44 woman road 10k okay wait that was just her first 10k that was and then she kept going no but then her last 10k was 29.12 which was i think the actual world best oh that's what i'm referring yeah. to so sorry that's no, what but i'm like, referring to that's how remarkable it is that you would be confused by thinking that that's a women's world best because 29.44 is unfathomable and then to, uh, to continue as well <laughs> and then she went on to run 29 12 for her last 10k just for context again for the average listener here because i couldn't really put this in context either her overall average for this 15k was 257 per kilometer a little more context what was kipchoge's pace per k because it was not much more than 10 seconds off that 253 I think it was. I think it might be or only... Or 252? Something like that. Like only five seconds yeah. per K. Now, mind you, it was for a marathon, but still. But still. <laughs> yeah. She she's demolished. a woman and he's the best who ever lived. Right. Yeah. 
she, well, and I mean, the same could arguably be said about her in terms of the fastest woman on the planet. Yeah. She demolished Jocelyn Jipkoski's former 15K world record by over a minute. And you just ran a killer full to win yes. New York. And she's the half marathon world right. record holder. So she's in good company, Ms. Giday. Wild. It, I, how, do, we, do we know what she's run for a marathon? I don't think she has. Ooh. I know. Stay tuned. Fun, eh? That'll be really fun to see. Yeah. And coming back across the pond, just in case any of you Canadian and particularly Ontario listeners are jonesing for your next fix of your Canadian road racing scene. By the time this episode comes out, the window will already be open. We're recording on Tuesday. Tomorrow, Wednesday, the 20th of November, the window for registration opens for both Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon 2020 and the Oasis Zurun 10K 2020. And we and recommend... <laughs> You get on top of both yeah. of those. Actually, one works kind of well as a base builder for the other, dare I say. No, that's actually really true, especially because the zoo run, it's not, it's never particularly fast because the course is like really windy and it's just not known as a fast course, but it's a good strength course. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like tougher than an average 10K in a way. And then because Scotia is relatively flat, you kind of get the payoff of like a flatter course, but longer for the marathon. Yeah. And if you're looking, if you plan on running a fall marathon, and you just want to do some fun stuff in the spring, great way to do it and still yeah. feel fresh in the fall. Totally. That's our little plug for Canada Running Series events. Mm-hmm. Make sure you sign up, folks. Moving on to the track. Moving on to the track. Nate Reach of Victoria won his first world championship title at the Para World Games this past week and it was super exciting he set a championship record he ran a 402 04 1500 meter very fast very fast so that was a super super impressive performance he's had a great 2019 overall i feel like every time i see him or hear about a performance of his he's set a new record or he's won something else and yeah. he capped off a super successful championship for the team yeah brent lakatos with two medals oh my gosh yeah. with a medal and we had a third we actually had two more medalists we had greg yeah. stewart won yeah. silver in the f46 discus also a canadian record super cool personal best and renee fossil a bronze in the f38 discus also a personal best and canadian record fabulous so we had a really great performance uh like round up by our team of course, I can't believe we're still talking about track in mid-November. Like, and like, not just like some funny little indoor meet right. somewhere. No, no the this world is championships the world outdoor championships. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic results by our Canadian para-athletes. Big things to come for the Paralympics next year. I'm so, so pumped. So pumped. It's going to be great. Moving XC. on to the cross-country course. I got to write my favorite headline ever last Friday. Lay it on me. And I believe the headline was NCAA regional cross-country road race results. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone did like four double takes and they were like, wait, there's a typo in and here. And a few people and called there me out in the comments and I was like, no, no, no. Read, read the, the article. article. <laughs> that is exactly what it was. But so tell us about it because like the title is ridiculous, but the story is even more ridiculous. So, when you learn about like where it was and what the conditions were and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So there was the Northeastern Conference Championships taking place in Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. A snowy place. 
practically our neighbor. So what did someone call someone called it basically Canada or almost Canada almost or something Canada, yeah. which I thought was really funny. We're going to say so this race is taking place in almost Canada in November yep. and almost Canada in November, as we all know, unless you are in beautiful British Columbia yes. by the ocean where we're very jealous, where we're very jealous of you get snow. You just do. Yeah. So it snowed in almost Canada before <laughs> this race and they canceled the meet on the traditional course, and they put it on the road. So they, so they turned a cross-country race into, into a, a road, road race. race. So it was the NCAA Northeastern Conference Championship cross-country road race. That is factual. So that tweet where someone called it Almost Canada, I think, yeah, the, the it was like it was a reply to someone who was like, well, oh, no, it was, why did they hold it in Almost Canada? And then someone was like, it's the Northeastern Championships. Where should they have held it? Tampa? Yeah, like, yeah. You don't have that many options. Plus, NCA, the actual NCA championship is in Terre Haute, Indiana, which also I is raced almost there Canada. five years in a row for cross country and it got snow every single year. Also, guess what? We race not in almost Canada, in, in Canada, Canada in November. It's possible. Right. You put in the big pins, you put the Vaseline on the legs and yeah. you just The stuff that gets go hot when the wind hits it right. and gets kind of spicy. Yeah. <laughs> and then spicy. if you forget and you get in the shower after oh, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Made that mistake. St. John's Newfoundland, second <laughs> oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, the icy hot. The icy hot, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, this they was ran a, a road yeah. race. Some people won, but <laughs> everyone had vapor flies on. Like everyone, sorry, everyone had next percents on. Right. And for a bunch of cross country runners who would have shown up with cross country spikes, how every school with a Nike sponsor just magically went and got next percents for their whole team. So I have two theories about this. Yeah. The first is the more likely and the more practical, which is that, so when I was in Duke University, uh, partway through my career there, we switched to being a Nike sponsored school and every team was sponsored by Nike. So all of Duke University was a Nike campus and we had a full-time Nike rep employed for our campus specifically. Just doling so out Kate stuff could here just and there. like text this Nike app and be like, "Yeah, that's how it works." Hey, my pegs are a little worn out. Can I have like eight new pairs? And they just show up with eight new pairs of Nike Pegasus. Because that's exactly how non-revenue NCAA D one programs work. We just get everything we want. Yeah, because we're like football and basketball. <laughs> anyway, yes, I was Kate very also fortunate. Got a sports car in her time at D. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> from yeah. a booster. Yeah, none of this is none of this is fact. <laughs> this is all fiction. Um, but I would imagine that given in all of the hype around the, the next percents that they were pretty quick to jump on this opportunity. Um, the second scenario, which I actually like a lot better, which also came from a random tweet, was it must be a good time to be a running store owner in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> because again, they all would have shown up without the proper running footwear. It's true. Buffalo is a, pr- a relatively large city. There'd be a lot of different running stores where they could get these shoes. Yep, totally. And they probably just sold them all out. Yep, Absolutely. So I guess that's the silver lining to that. If you owned a running shop in Buffalo, you probably cleaned up. Um, Anyway, yes, ridiculous story. But it leads us to the fact that the NCAA cross-country championships are being held on Saturday, as we mentioned, Terre Haute, Indiana. And we've got like a whole whack of Canadians to look for. A whole whack of Canadians. Really exciting. We've got Andrew Alexander of Notre Dame University, Ehab El Sandali at Iona, 
Joshua D'Souza, also at Iona, Farah Abdul Karim at Ole Miss, and Michael Kochia, also at Ole Miss. Couple double ups there, eh? I guess that's kind of typical. Canadians yeah, tend Canadian, to go to the, yeah, same, the exactly. same program. Then we got three women to look for Maggie Smith of Villanova, mm-hmm. Taryn O'Neill, Northern Arizona, and Shona McCullough of Washington. Yeah. And, and they I, could all do really they well. They could all do really well. And yeah. I talked to Taryn today. So Taryn went to Villanova for her first year. Oh, that's right. And she's transferred to NAU. And she said that NAU made their first, their women's team made the first NCAA championship in 12 years. Really? So, yeah. Because the, huh. everyone forgets that the women have sort of not been as good because the men Dominate. are so strong. Yeah. The men are back to back to back champions. That I'm sounds pretty sure. Right. I think they're three time champions. Yeah. And they could be four. And so... You know, you just associate NAU with really strong cross country, but actually, these women are really—it's a resurgence in their in their women's distance program. For That's sure, really cool. Mm-hmm. Wow, go NAU, go NAU. Yeah, near and dear to my heart. It's a place we train in frequently for altitude. Yeah, she said that's been one challenge with moving there. Is that I can she imagine has never <laughs> lived or trained at altitude before. Yeah, but evidently, like she's twenty fourth at her conference meet. She's running well. Yeah, so absolutely. she's making it work. Cool. Yeah. Good for her. Go Canadians and the NCAA. We love We're it. Cheering for you. Oh, and stay tuned because I think FlowTrack is the only one live streaming it. And it's a subscription. So if you don't have one, you're probably not going to be able to watch but it. Honestly, FlowTrack does a lot of stuff. If it's an Olympic year, if you're into track and field, cross yeah. country, they Little do road plug. running too. They're not asking us to say this, but I, it's a subscription worth having right. in, in my mind. Yeah, I would agree with that. Also, though, obviously, check back to runningmagazine.ca and all of our social feeds because we'll be covering it. And how the Canadians, how the Canadians did and how the meet went in yeah. general. Something, always, something interesting always happens at a meet that big. Exciting. For the week of November 18th, I'm Kate. And I'm Maddie. And we'll be back with more soon. Anna McNuff has always been an adventurer. The daughter of two Olympic rowers, she grew up thinking it was normal to see Olympic medals hanging in your living room. She says that she won the gene pool when it comes to an athletic predisposition. And for many years, she pursued sports at a high level, even competing for the national rowing team and winning gold at the World University Games. Anna eventually left the competitive athletic world for a job in marketing but her pension for travel and thirst for adventure never waned. After a few years behind a desk, she realized that she could no longer deny her inner explorer. She quit her job, bought a bike and a plane ticket, and in 2013, pedaled solo and unassisted through all 50 U.S. states, raising money for the Right to Play charity. Since then, she's taken on numerous endurance challenges, including running the length of New Zealand. Condé Nast Traveler included her in a list of the 50 most influential travelers in the world. Last year, she was named the ambassador for Girl Guiding, the UK version of Girl Guides Canada. Driven by the goal of inspiring others to redefine their limits, she decided to take on her most daring adventure yet, running 100 barefoot marathons to encourage young women to reach for the impossible. I connected with this self-proclaimed mischief maker in her home in England to learn more about her British barefoot escapades. Yeah, I know it sounds absolutely crazy, but to put it in context, I have done a long 2,000 mile run in trainers before. So 
I ran this trail through the length of New Zealand with all my stuff on my back over some mountains. So when I came to do this challenge, I thought I definitely want to do a new run and I think I want to do it in Britain. And because at that point I'd just become the UK ambassador for girl guiding. And I know you've got girl guiding over there in Canada. So you know what I mean when I say a bit of girl power action. And I thought, what's going to be my message for those young girls? What am I going to say to them about everything I've learned from all the adventures I've done over the past 10 years? And it really is that Every time I've stood at the start line of one of my adventures, I have stood there and thought, what on earth am I doing? And I just want a hole to open up in the universe so I don't have to go through with what I've said to everyone I will do. And I've got all this, just a tornado of nerves and excitement. And I know now looking back that that feeling is a good feeling. So I thought, if I do a long run and I do it in trainers, And I'm stood at that start line in Britain. I know in my heart of hearts that I can do it. And I thought I can't be talking to young girls about pushing themselves if I'm not on that journey myself and I'm not honest with them about pushing myself. So I just had this crazy idea of how could I make a long run harder? And it popped into my head the question of why don't you do it in bare feet? And I thought that's ridiculous. Straight away, I thought you're mad. You can't do that. And then it just wouldn't leave me alone, that question. And after a couple of months, I thought, well, is it ridiculous, dot, dot, dot. And that is how I ended up here. The kind of mileage Anna was covering seems unfathomable to most people. But to do it without shoes, the one piece of equipment that our minimalist sport often necessitates, sounds like true madness. They say to be a runner, all you need is a pair of running shoes. But Anna turned that presumption on its head. I've broken it. And well, and I also tried to say to people, you know, I just have to be honest, this is relative for everyone, isn't it? For some people, running a 5K is, is as equally as difficult a challenge as this. But it's just about being honest with myself. And that's what I say to the girls as well. I don't know what your challenge is. That's up to you. You know, only you know if you're really pushing it or if you're cruising. So I went for pushing it. To really understand where the drive comes from to take on seemingly impossible adventures, you have to know a little more about Anna's background. I've come from quite a sporty background. So um, I've got parents that are Olympians. So which is at first you think that's really normal when you're growing up and you think everyone's got crazy sporty parents, but then you realize you're a bit different. But I actually grew up doing a lot of elite sport, which although it sounds like it would predispose me to do adventures, it's a whole other end of a spectrum because that's all about looking at split times and really getting into the detail of, of performance training. Whereas what I do now with adventures, it's a lot more about seeing landscapes and chatting to people, stopping for coffee cake I love all that stuff and so I guess I did get the fitness and the endurance and the love of testing my body from my youth and all my upbringing but then it wasn't probably till my late 20s that I was sat in a desk job and I just had this feeling that I I wasn't for me everyone around me loved their jobs and I realized that I didn't love my job and that perhaps I was kind of in the wrong place in the universe at that point and that I had a choice and I could do something about it So I went off on my first adventure, which was to ride a giant pink bicycle through every state of of America. And it just spiraled from there, really. I thought I just needed to get the adventure itch out of my system. And I came back and I'd met new people. I'd seen new places and I'd written for the first time as well. I was writing a blog and I just thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know how on earth I'm going to make a living from it or if I am going to be able to. But... This is what makes me feel like me, and I'm going to keep on doing it. 
As you can imagine, preparing to cover nearly 4,000 kilometers without a vehicle, much less the protection of shoes, is, pardon the pun, no small feat. Anna's years of high-performance training meant that she was strong and tough, but her soles still needed some work before they'd be ready to carry her across country. Yeah, I think the first thing is when I came up with the idea, I, I almost made a, a deal with myself, which was if you do this, Annie, you have to take it seriously because I'm a little bit slapdash when it comes to training. I think because I've got a, a decent fitness base, I kind of think I can get away with a lot of stuff. And I w- I've turned up before to the start of a 60 mile race and have not done any training and I get through it, but it's so painful and I, and I and it's a long time before I want to do it again. So this time I said, if you're going to do this, I don't want to destroy my body. I want to get make it to the end in reasonable shape and look after myself. So I actually started the training about a year and a half out from beginning the run. And I'd been in minimalist shoes for a few years anyway, as it just so happened, because I, I'd got curious about it and I'd enjoy the way it felt. So my, my calves and Achilles were a bit more used to being in minimalist footwear. But then I spent the first six month block, just going out and running and building up my mileage in those minimalist shoes. And then I spent a next six month block running in, they're called Skinner's socks, but they're basically, they look like a wet, kind of a wetsuit boot, a very thin sock that goes over your foot. And then I spent a further six months being barefoot. So it was 18 months of prep in total. And it was all just just bit by bit. So I might go out for an eight mile run, and in the last two miles, I'd put my my socks on instead of my trainers. So I'd take it down a notch, you know, get closer to the ground. And then in the middle six months, I'd go out in my socks, and maybe in the last mile, I'd take my socks off and be barefoot. And so I'd gradually make that transition. But it there was no way. The tricky thing was there was no way I was going to go out and run twenty odd miles every single day in training. So I still stood on that start line and thought, I'm as ready as I can be, but this is still going to be quite difficult. And I've got to let my body adjust in the first month to six weeks and see how I go. In addition to the physical preparation, there was a crucial mental prep element of this journey. Luckily, Anna was able to draw on her previous adventures for a roadmap. Although this was the first time she was attempting a mega ultra barefoot run, she had plenty of learning experiences from her other exploits. When you're about six months out from actually getting on the start line, all you have to deal with for that six months leading up is just anxiousness. You are just anxious. You you are Your brain is going to all the places where it could go wrong. The little voice in your head that tells you you're mad and you're not going to be able to do it just is very loud. And so really all you want to do is start, but you're not quite there yet. You know, you need to put everything else in place. So I guess that's just about riding it out. And I happen to have a very supportive partner, my other half, uh, Jamie McDonald, who ran across Canada. So that's why we love Canada. And uh, so he's very supportive and he's been through that set of emotions a lot as well. So you just have to sit with your fear. You can't do anything about it. You just have to acknowledge it, sit there and go, all right, then fear. Let's hang out until we get to the start. Um, And I guess some of the things I was worried about is, what my what would happen if I got two weeks in and I got a show-stopping injury? You know, I tore a muscle or I, I got an injury that was going to take three months to heal and I didn't have those three months. The pressure was real for Anna. She had a hectic speaking schedule that involved an average of three talks per week with various girl guide units across the country. This meant that she had to keep moving steadily to fulfill the commitment she had made to thousands of girls. She brought on a team member to help with the logistics of the talks, 
and also relied heavily on the generosity of strangers throughout her journey. About six months before I started the journey, I put up on social media, right, I'm running through the country. Who wants a smelly barefoot runner in their house and will feed me food and look after me? And the response was phenomenal. I was just blown away and straight away. I think we had 200 emails on the first day. And then I got, I just got offered to be hosted basically for almost the whole trip within about the space of a week. So that, that made me feel at ease. It made me feel like I wasn't crazy and the people of Britain were out there ready to support me. I just needed to make it to them. Wow. And that is remarkable. I mean, to have that many responses, to have that many strangers volunteer their homes and volunteer to feed you and shelter you and support you. Where do you think that came from? I mean, I think it would take something quite special for people to want to for that many people to want to open up their homes and yeah, volunteer their, their time and their support. Why, why do you think, what was the reception that you got uh, for the most part? Where do you think that came from? I think the reception I got was a lot from the fact that I was being honest about why I was doing it and the fact that I wasn't confident that I was going to be able to do it, but that I was stood at that start line saying, I've got no idea if this is possible. I think it probably is, but here we go. Let's all go on a journey together. So I tried to bring people in right from the beginning on my fears and on the reality that I was I was testing myself and I didn't know if I was going to do it. So I think they that other people really felt like they were a part of the journey. And I always find, and I've found this on, on previous travels, the second you're vulnerable, you know, if you're on a bike or you're running and, and you're clearly in a vulnerable position, people just want to help you. They were just tripping over themselves to help you. And so I think I'd experienced that on previous adventures, cycling adventures and running adventures where I had been taken in by, by people who just wanted to help. And I mean, that is my view of the world. I think we are a kind and generous race. And so I think having me knowing that and then me putting it out there and just being honest with people. I think for some reason I had that amazing response and it was just beautiful. So it really did feel like it was their journey as much as it was mine, especially when loads of them joined me as I ran through, they might host me for the night, but they would also get their trainers on because they're sensible and they would come for a run with me as well. Anna was joined by over 2,300 runners throughout the course of her journey. And although she said how deeply appreciative she was of the company, she also respected her own boundaries and need for solitude. All of this required a ton of logistic planning, and thanks to her marketing background, it paid off. She set up a calendar and map on her website, outlining approximately where she'd be each day. She sent confirmation emails, she organized a Facebook page, and her fan base grew steadily. She had pre-planned running buddies three to four days per week, and particularly thanks to the Facebook group, she ensured that they knew more or less what they were getting themselves into. That mainly just helped get rid of people's nervousness about running with me because I think there was this belief that I was going to be running really fast and I was going to be this elite athlete. And they soon saw that I like to run at this thing called adventure pace, which is let's go all day, every day, let's chat, let's stop for coffee. And it's quite an accessible pace. And it was all about just enjoying ourselves. And if we went past the children's playground, we'd be on the playground as well, as long as there weren't any kids on it. And it was just about having fun. So yeah, it was a logistical nightmare, but I did think very long and hard before I started about how I could set it up so that people got the communication they needed, but they, they also felt, felt at ease about joining me and felt like it was going to be an enjoyable day out and something they wanted to be a part of. 
And what a fabulous combination of um, a commitment to sport and activity and, you know, overall well-being, but also to fun and detours when they felt right. I mean, I think we live in a world that is so regimented. You go to the gym to work out or you go to the track to run and that's your workout time and then you have your play time. And it sounds like you did this fabulous job of melding those two things together. Was that part of the goal on the outset? Yeah, and that was what was really fascinating. Something started happening once once I'd had a few of these open stages and people run with me. People would turn up and say, I'm just going to run five miles or I'm just going to run three miles with you and then I'll turn around. And, and they'd almost be explaining themselves to me. And I'd say, oh, what, whatever, you know, come for as long as you like. Don't worry. And I, I would never worry about how they were getting home. Like That's all on them. You know, they can sort that out. And a lot of them would even have had an adventure getting to the start, the logistics of how they would get there. And then... It, what happened that was really strange is 90% of them would run further than they intended to for a start and then I'd probably say a good 30% of them would run further than they ever had before and I wasn't doing anything but what I realized was happening is like you said when you go out to, to work out or you go out for a run you set aside an hour in your day you probably know your route you know exactly where you're going to go you know what time you're going to be back whereas with my runs I was very last minute with the logistics so they might get an email like I said a few days before so they generally had had to block out their whole day sort out childcare, and so they had this whole day to play and people had taken days off work on a Wednesday and things like that and so suddenly they're on a run they've taken the time off they've cleared their diary you know why would they turn around and go home after three miles when actually they could just keep going and get a bus or get a ride later on so people just started running further and staying with me the whole day. And it was just amazing to watch. It was great. Anna had a ton of support, but that didn't mean that she went without her hecklers. Oh my gosh, so many. And I actually took a while to get used to it because I'm not the kind of person who, although in, in one sense, I don't care what people think, there is a part of me that when people are repeatedly telling you are crazy and staring at you, you know, you do start to take it in. And and I actually, I just wanted to run down the street and not have anyone look at me, but I've got bright pink hair and I'm in bare feet. So that's not going to happen. Um, and it was really funny. People couldn't control what was coming out their mouth. They'd just look at me and then they'd look down at my feet and then they'd go, you've got no shoes on. But that, that or, or they'd just go, oh, is that a good idea? And all these things would just come out their mouth. And then I had I had one guy run out of his garden. It was in the north of England. They've got a very thick accent up there. And he was very concerned about a specific injury. I don't know if you've ever had plantar fasciitis. But he ran out of his garden and just pointed at my, my feet. And he was about 70 years old. And he just said, oh, no, 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 no. And I stopped and said, what? And he pointed at my feet and said, you'll get plantar fasciitis. And I said, no, thanks. I'm okay. I've done a few hundred miles to here. And he was like, no, I've had it. You're going to get it. Oh, be careful, lassie. So bizarre. He was so concerned about me getting plantar fasciitis. For the record, she didn't get plantar fasciitis. You might have picked up on Anna's mention of her hot pink hair. She has an affinity for all things bright, outrageous, and fun, a style choice that was very well received by the young girls she was meeting with. And while she developed a reputation for sporting bold colors, it's a pair of unicorn leggings that have become her signature. 
The the unicorn leggings, which is this pair of tights which have a unicorn having a fight with a robot under a rainbow on them. They're the most ridiculous pair of leggings. You could not possibly be unhappy while you're wearing them. They've actually got a, pe- a backstory and they're called my pants of perspective because uh, when I was in New Zealand, I had a really tough day when I was running the trail there through the country and I'd busted my ankle and I was down and out. I thought it was going to be the end of my journey. I sprained it really badly. I was in the middle of the bush. I had no one to speak to, no way of seeking counsel from anyone. And I wriggled myself into those ridiculous pair of leggings. And suddenly I snapped myself back to reality and, and just found a bit of confidence and thought, I'm okay. I've got food. I've got shelter. I've got water. I'm going to make a good decision here and I'm going to be able to push on. So they are my pants of perspective, which is, um, so I wrote a book called The Pants of Perspective. And a lot of people that follow me have a pair of pants of perspective or they have their own pair that don't have a unicorn on them, but something to yeah, just just make them feel like themselves and snap them back to a point where they think, you know, I've got this. Did your pants of perspective or something else come into play? Because I would imagine that there, you know, you radiate, you know, positivity and optimism and you had all of this support. But I can imagine that there must have been moments along this journey that were really, really difficult. Can you tell us about some of those moments and, and how you saw your way through them? Definitely. And I think if you're a person who experiences great highs, what comes with that is the great lows. And there were some moments where I was really struggling. The darkest moment in the run was I was a thousand miles in and I had a tiny cut in my foot. And I'm talking no no bigger than any other cut I'd had, absolutely tiny, but it had actually gone quite deep. So it'd gone down below the hard skin and into some kind of blood vessel and I got infected. And so my foot just blew up and that was something I'd never experienced before. And it was so painful that that took me off my feet for two weeks. And in that two weeks, I just thought, have I ended the run? Is this it done? Am I only going to make it a thousand miles? And all of the, the feelings of almost shame and embarrassment that came with that, I had to just ride those out. And just the unknowing, I'm sitting there thinking, all I want to do is run and I can't run and I've got no one or nothing to tell me when this foot is going to be fixed. I've just got to go day by day and I'd open my eyes in the morning and I'd think, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to put my foot on the floor because I don't want to know if it's painful or not. Because if it's painful, I'm not going running today again. And the miles were just slipping by. And because I had all these talks booked in a really hectic schedule, there wasn't a place to make up miles. That was the toughest part of the run, I would say, not being able to run. I also hit a low with about three weeks to go. I hit a massive low where every mile felt like it was taking me an hour. And I just thought my my mind has gone. My motivation had gone. I knew I was going to find a way to get to the end, but everything just felt like swimming in treacle. So... There's, I know I'm, I am a positive person, but it's not to say that I don't experience all the other stuff. I, I, I am positive 90% of the time, but there are very, very tough times. And I just, I've got loads of little tools to try and get my way through those. Part of what kept her going during those tough times was remembering the moments of deep inspiration and pure joy that sustained her day after day. In terms of the, the places that I was seeing, I mean, I... 
I know Britain reasonably well, but I do. I now know it even better. And I think to find so much beauty in your own country and to explore these places you've never been before, that was just felt like such a privilege. And I, I was blown away. We've got some amazing beaches. You know, I know we've not got big mountains like Canada. You know, you're a bit spoiled over there. But we have these incredible Yorkshire Dales and the lakes, all those areas. And there was a day when I was up in the, the Yorkshire lakes up high on a hill and I'm running down into this beautiful green valley and the sun's going down my favorite time of day and there's sheep all around me with their waggly tails that make me laugh and I just thought man you know there is nowhere else in the world I'd rather be right now than here so when I was really connected with nature that was pretty special and then other high points oh it's just always going to be about the people about people making me laugh on Halloween, everyone dressed up and some guy turned up dressed as a lobster and um, and he ran 24 miles dressed as a lobster. So we kept shouting at him. I don't know why in American accent, be like, hey, you're one inspirational lobster, man. And uh, so he was loving it. Um, so those things just made me laugh. And uh, and then the girl guides as well. I was one talk I did where there were 500 of them in a, in a theatre in one city and they went nuts at me like I was a pop star. They were screaming and they just loved it. So I basically just, it was the people and the things I saw that were the high points. So I've, I've been speaking with a few people about what you were doing and the fact that I was going to chat with you and a bunch of my runner friends all had the same question. So I just have to ask it. What is the weirdest or grossest thing that you stepped on? Okay. Are you ready for this? Right. So, I mean, I've stepped in every kind of poo and, and poo really didn't bother me by the end. I'm talking seagull poo, pigeon poo, um, Dog poo's really sticky, so I tried to avoid dog poo because it would just stick to you. And sheep poo does this weird thing where you stand on it and it goes like almost like a nuclear mushroom between your toes and explodes upwards. So that was never fun. Uh, but the the worst thing I stepped in was one day I was I was on a back country back road. I'd got lost and I'd got my phone out to see where I'd gone wrong. And I was looking at my phone and I stepped backwards in the road and my foot went in something cold and wet and I thought it's probably a bit of mud or poo. I'm not really bothered at this point. And then I put my phone away and I looked down and I was stood in a dead rabbit. (laughs) I just, I was like a cat on a hot tin roof. I just leapt upwards. I was dead before I stood on it, I promise. And then I just, I just ran off down the road. I was just scampering off down the road, just pulling this face of, oh my gosh, that was so disgusting. Yeah. Gross. But the kids love the story. When I tell the guides, they love it. It's great. (laughs) All right. So speaking of your feet, how are they now? How are you feeling and how have you been recovering? They're they're good. You know, I'm actually quite sad because day by day, I've been, what have I finished four days ago now? And I am slowly watching the skin soften and, and I can see the changes. And it makes me quite sad because I think my feet will probably never be as strong again as they are right now. And so that's sad, but they, they feel fine. And actually, one of the things that is quite a relief is quite often, especially in the summer, they would tingle because, um, you know, we've got like 7,000 nerve endings on each sole of our foot and they would tingle until about two o'clock in the morning. And I found um, this this herbal oil that would stop the tingling. But it's just quite nice to go to sleep and not have tingly feet. So, um, yeah, I just I'm also I just love my feet. I'm so proud of them. You know, I sort of want to just say thanks and well done for carrying me all those miles. I think some people hate their feet, but I really have just had a new love affair with my own feet, which I think is a nice thing. As Anna's feet continue to soften, her mind inevitably turns to the question that is ever present for true adventurers. What next? 
normally I would when I finish an adventure there's normally this six month period where you ride out the post-adventure roller coaster ups downs and get back to normal life and then at some point a new adventure idea will just start kind of just gradually growing in the corner of your mind and then eventually it'll start grabbing for your attention you can't ignore it so I'm, I'm fully accepting that I'm going to go on that journey at some point and I, there will be another one. And I, yeah, I don't know what it is, but that's quite exciting. I'm smiling as I say it because I've got no idea what it's going to be. But um, our immediate adventure is, as I mentioned, me and Jamie McDonald, who ran across Canada. We've been doing these adventures now for a fair few years. And we, we're really keen to start a little adventure family. So that, that, is, that is our focus, really. It's like, well, let's start on that journey and see what happens. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. So we're going to work out how on earth we do this with kids and, uh, and go down that road. A huge thank you to Anna for sharing her remarkable story with us. You can learn more about her by visiting her website, annamcnuff.com, or by reading her books, Fifty Shades of the USA and The Pants of Perspective. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ShakeOut Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in this week, and we'll chat again soon.